millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Welcome back. This is part two of our conversation with Enrique Fonseca from Visual Politique. I'll make a quick plug real quick. Fonseca Visual Politic did a show on Transylvania's push for greater autonomy from Romania. So if that's something that interests you, go check it out. Now, you mentioned, Fonseca, that there is this sense of either a failing Spanish project or a lack of a Spanish project. And you mentioned that in contrast to a semblance of pure decadence. And I'm curious... Do you think that the the sense of a project existing or being fulfilled fails because of because of this pure decadence because of a, because of the the semblance that some people are just you know benefiting unduly from the existing system and not distributing it around enough or is there something else is there something deeper to the sense of a failed project or a project. I think that project. when you have the feeling of disappointment, you are more prone to, to listen to someone who is telling you to break up with the country. That's the first thing you need is the, the perfect uh, atmosphere for an independentist feeling. Then, of course, you need other things. You need some political organization. You probably need some historical, cultural identity or something that uh, can make you feel like you are actually and you have a separate identity from the rest of the country. I don't know. There are other factors that are, that are important. Not everyone in Spain wants to break up with the country, even though we all feel that the country is in a crisis and things are going really bad. So I guess there are other factors needed. But the main thing is, yes, there has to be this feeling of disappointment. Otherwise, if if there is a sense of national project, people usually tend to, to, to be happy being together. I think one of the questions I have coming from this that I'm thinking about and don't have a good answer to is, what causes people in a nation when there's a crisis or a disappointment to want to break away versus sort of go towards more radical ideas to, you know, quote, fix it. So I'm, I'm thinking of, for example, Germany in the 1930s was in a major crisis. And like, you know, Germany is a confederation of states that were separate for, you know, un- uh, until the 1800s. 
Um, and But they didn't go towards breaking back up, right? Bavaria didn't try to break away. Prussia didn't try to break away. They instead, you know, they elected Hitler, but they were going through all sorts of different pretty radical options for how to sort of make Germany work again. And, you know, why did they go that way? But other nations that are disappointed right now are thinking about more autonomy and independence. I don't know. I don't have an answer for this. Yeah, I don't either. Because I'm thinking of a, I'm thinking of a, a less extreme example. You know, the United States, we feel pretty disappointed with the project right now. And I think that, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions about, you know, not institutions, but, um, well, a lot of questions about our institutions and whether they're working. Um, and a lot of questions about whether sort of the American dream is working and whether the, you know, the mandate or the, the, yeah, the mandate to our progeny where, you know, we try to make the country better for our children is working and stuff like that. And I feel like a lot of people are disappointed, but there's not a lot of serious talk about exiting, you know, California has talked about it, but I don't think it's going to go anywhere. Um, you know, the South has said it'll rise again since the 1860s, but that's probably not going to happen either. And so the United States is having this internal fight over how to take the country different directions. And, you know, maybe the United States just isn't isn't tired of fighting for itself yet, even though we're currently disappointed with how the project's going. I think one thing I'll add to that is part of the American system is is set up to create gridlock, right? I mean, the constant political infighting and division that we're seeing is not necessarily a flaw of the system, but a feature of it. I mean, we can have a conversation of whether or not the institutions should allow for that sort of thing. But I mean, the division that we're seeing right now in America is perhaps not common, but certainly not unusual. And not even as severe as some division we've seen in recent history. I've mentioned this to a few folks now, but the Ken Burns documentary on Vietnam that just came out in September is magisterial. It's fantastic. And I feel like I can understand my parents' generation a little better having watched that because in the end of the 60s, 1968, 1969, America was on the verge of a revolution. I mean, my father went to UC Berkeley in 68 through 1970, at which point he transferred because he said, I'm tired of getting, you know, swept off my campus every quarter by the National Guard and having tear gas dropped on me while I'm walking to class. He said one day he walked down to his apartment and there's just a National Guardsman standing right in front of his door with an M16. There's one on every block because they were deployed to put down a revolution if it were to happen. And things are not great now in terms of a division, but I don't think anyone can realistically argue that we're on the verge of overturning the government. So again, it's it's one of those cases of caution with historical analogies because it is, I think, easier to find similarities than it is differences. And coming back to the example of Germany in the 1930s, you know, we can say, ah, well, bad economic stuff, people disaffected, Nazis. And I think that's that's an effective analogy in part because everyone's familiar with the historical example, but there's lots of dissimilarities as well, differences between what happened in Germany in the 1930s and what caused those economic issues and what's going on in Spain right now and what caused those economic issues and you know the blend of identity, how that changes, how people thought about identity. 
So this is kind of just one of my pet issues and I'll just throw it on the table here and then we can keep talking about independence movements in Europe. But when making historical comparisons, one cannot only look for the similarities, they must also look for the differences. Yeah, and there is one big difference that I have to point out here. You can't, you shouldn't compare uh, the Catalonian nationalism with the Nazis or even any uh, important civil war. That's what the pro-Spanish propaganda is trying to, 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 to sell, but we shouldn't buy it because that's propaganda. Just like there is a pro-Catalonian propaganda, there is a lot of pro-Spanish propaganda. And they are trying to sell that the Catalonian nationalists are kind of a, a Gestapo 2.0. And no, it's absolutely different. The Catalonian nationalism, first of all, is not, vi- is not violent. They want to break up with Spain. That's all. They want to keep being part of Europe. They don't want to... Perhaps the politicians will be more populist than, than usual, but they don't want to create something like a Soviet Union. So it's not something like a revolution. It's just we don't want to be part of Spain anymore. But, but we had that in Czechoslovakia in the 1993 when Slovakia split up with the Czech Republic and nothing happened. It was just, okay, it used to be one country. Now it's two different countries with two different governments and two different projects, but it's not a revolution. Let's take a step back now, because we've talked about Catalonia. We've kind of mentioned Lombardy and Veneto. And now, Fonseca, you've mentioned Czechoslovakia in the 90s. You've mentioned Transylvania and Romania. There's, of course, the Scottish referendum that occurred in 2014 that did not pass pro-independence. And now there's Brexit, you know, the UK leaving the EU. All of these are different. But the common thread is a move towards greater decentralization, a move towards greater regional autonomy. Fonseca, what do you think is driving this? Understanding that these are not all the same there are some similarities. Why, why, or what are they, and why are they there? I'm not that sure if they, if there are those similarities, honestly. Because again, the Brexiters have absolutely nothing to do with the Catalonian with the Catalonian independentists, and the same goes with the Veneto and the Padanians who want to separate from Italy. I think there is no. Not even a, 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 a seek of decentralization. The Catalans, they don't want decentralization. Probably a brand new Catalonian state would be a totally centralized state. Maybe a better example to compare it to would be Belgium is considering breaking up into Flanders and Wallonia. And this is this has sort of been a long time coming because Belgium, of course, has always had trouble forming a government. Um, it's always been very... Uh, like ethnic uh, as a state, you know, there, there've been uh, Walloon parties and Flemish parties. Um, They don't like each other. They don't speak the same language. Uh, I think the Flems are the wealthier ones and they're tired of um, subsidizing Wallonia. Uh, And so they're thinking of, they're thinking of splitting um, possibly uh, Bavaria thinking about splitting off Scotland thinking of splitting off, you know, are, are these, are those movements possibly more like the ones we're seeing in Catalonia? Mm, 
perhaps a little bit the the Belgian the uh, the Flemish independentist movement could be a little bit more similar to to the Catalan one because it's also a way wealthier region like uh, the Flemish region is by far the wealthiest in in Belgium they feel like they are subsidizing the south which and they have pretty good reasons to to believe that and there is also a totally different political mindset like just like it happens in catalonia the catalans they, or the catalonians they are not uh, they are republicans and they don't like the king and the same happens in in belgium there you have the the north of belgium the flemish part who is mainly republican they are more into um it's a more bourgeois society where they prefer more free market free trade lower taxes small government etc no king uh, they are non not catholics they are protestants while the south is more traditional centralized economy monarchy catholicism so perhaps there is a little bit of that in Catalonia. There is no religious divide because they are all Catholic, but... Ponseca, I'm, I'm, I'm actually going to push back on you a little bit here. You say that there's nothing, there are no similarities between Brexit and Catalonia. All these independence movers, movements have different drivers. I agree. They have different drivers. They have different political environments. But I can look at the UK and somewhat adequately describe the complaints of the pro-Brexiters as saying the people in charge screwed up. I'm not happy with the job they're doing. I think we can do it better. or We at least have a right to try to do it better. I could say that same thing about Catalonia. These people in charge have been doing a poor job. Uh, They're not serving our interests. We think we should do it better and we have a right to do it better. I think you could say kind of the same thing about Scotland when they have the had the referendum, even though it didn't pass. So the commonality is there is a sense that those who are in charge now, and I think you can roughly describe a certain type of European elite governing class right now, the idea that those in charge are doing a poor job, have been doing a poor job, and that the individual nations or regions don't actually have a right to continue to submit to their policies. I think another similarity, you know, I know people talked a lot about um, immigration with respect to Brexit, and you know, Spain isn't Spain isn't seeing the kind of immigration that the UK was seeing uh, because you know the UK's economy has been stronger in the the labor side. Um, you know, so that's that's going to be fundamentally different, of course. But the UK also feels like it's subsidizing a lot of the European Union's projects. But a lot of you know, big thing in Brexit was that tax money was leaving the UK, where it could be spent on the healthcare system, it could be spent on infrastructure there, and that they are, they're tired of paying for other people's stuff, they want to pay for their own. And that's one of the big similarities I see there. So I, I tend to possibly naively agree with Xander that I think there's this, there is a sense that the shared sense seems to be we should be, you know, we as our identity group, be it, you know, be it Britons, be it uh, Scots, Flems, Catalonians, should be looking out for ourselves rather than letting other people boss us around or drag us down. Yeah, in, in that sense, yes, there are some similarities between Brexiters and Catalonians. And the only reason I think it's maybe useful to identity the uh, identify those admittedly very high-level similarities 
is because trying to answer what is causing all of these uh, disaffectations, that's probably not a word, but I just made it up, uh, disaffections, what's creating all the disaffection at the same time across Europe, there might be some sort of common cause. And really the only thing that I, I can think of is the economic crisis of 08, 09. It, 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 if it, didn't, it didn't necessarily create the divisions, but it exacerbated to them to the point where people are saying, man, screw this, something's not working. And the one thing that I can see is that the people in charge have been screwing up um, so I think that puts the EU in a difficult place right now. And the trends that we're seeing are, as we've mentioned on the show, certainly not towards greater consolidation. And this is very different than what the project promised in the early 1990s. I mean, I disagree. I totally disagree with you on this. Hit me. Sorry. I hit you. Uh, first, again, the Catalonian nationalists, they are not anti, anti-EU. And there are many nationalist movements that are absolutely not anti-EU whatsoever. Uh, the, the, the Flemish independentist movement in, in Belgium, for instance, to, 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 to name another one. And I actually think that this 2017, after the Brexit, uh, has been the, the European coming back. Like all the pro-European parties have been winning the elections. You have the Macron in France, uh, even Merkel. She has won the elections despite uh, the uprising of the Alternative for Germany. Like we've seen how all the pro-European political parties are winning the elections. It's like perhaps even the Brexit. Uh, has has created the Brexit and Donald Trump has created the perfect antagonist for a European uh, identity. So I don't I don't really think that now we are seeing uh, I don't know how to say a de- potential disintegration of the the European Union. I would actually say the opposite is true. So uh, let me clarify whole, real quick because I I agree with you that I don't think the autonomous movement in Catalonia is anti-EU. I, I certainly did not mean to say that. I, I think the point that I was making is that there is a move against greater unification throughout Europe. That, that might be nations in respect to the EU, or it may be regions in respect to the nation. But certainly Scotland, to the degree that it wanted to be more independent, is pro-EU. And part of the tension that we've seen in the UK with the Brexit movement, Scotland saying, well, hey, why does London get to decide this for us? We might not want to break away from the EU. And your point about elections is well taken. Certainly Angela Merkel's coalition won, certainly Macron won. But I think the the thing we need to recognize is in the details of those elections. Yes, the winners may be pro-EU, but the margins of the losers are far more Eurosceptic. I mean, 15 years ago, it didn't matter which party won. They were both going to be pro-EU. So the tendency is is in the opposite direction, even though pro-EU parties are still winning, albeit by smaller margins. Well, actually, yeah, you, you have your point, okay? But going back to the regionalist movements, I would say that, in fact, the regionalist movements are great news for Europe. If you think about it, for the European project, to, to really become a, a, a real thing and become a real political union, one of the things that you have to do is to diminish the national identity. And what is better to diminish the national identity than creating a regional one? 
In fact, European Union has been promoting, actively, actively promoting the so-called European regions or Euro regions, which are regions, political units that go beyond the national borders. For instance, there is one between the Basque Country and the south of France. There is another political region between western Spain and eastern Portugal. There are several um, political regions, uh, Euro European regions, that go beyond the national borders and they focus more on those regional identities. The same goes with South Tyrol and... You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's a <clears throat> that's actually a great point of some of the tension uh, in Europe, you know, and, and what we're seeing here is a, a, so much complexity rising up as we talk about this, because there's the question of sovereignty, right, of the current nation state, and and should it remain sovereign to its you know regions below, and how sovereign should it remain to um, Brussels, and then the question of like supra sovereignty of you know how how much power should these should this larger uh, block, the European Union block, have in Europe versus, you know, again, versus the, the nation states. And Brexit was about pushing back on the supra-sovereign Brussels. And Catalonia is about pushing back on the sovereign Madrid, um, possibly to be closer with the supra-sovereign Brussels. Scotland is certainly about that. And it... I think we just brought up like a really interesting tension in the European Union that, you know, to a large extent, the European Union, in order to make its project work, does want to decrease the power of nationalism in the sovereign states. Um, and at the same time, different states may be against, different states that are members of the European Union may be against this push because, of course, it's threatening to them and their own sovereignty. So they may be part of the EU and the EU is the thing that's saying, hey, nationalism isn't good, but the individual states, you know, probably generally don't want these independence movements to happen. You know, London is certainly against Scotland breaking away. Madrid is against Catalonia breaking away. And so there's this problem where, you know, it, you know, Catalonia's independence, for example, didn't get support from EU member nations, even though the EU... Um, has an interest in supporting regionalism. And I assume this is in part because these EU member nations, Germany, the United Kingdom, France, whatever, don't want to set the precedent that nation, you know, that that these regions declaring independence is going to work. So, you know, Germany, the UK, France came out against the Catalonian independence movement, um, you know, so that there's not this precedent set, even though regionalism is something that Brussels has been promoting. Um, and, you know, do you see that, you know, Fonseca, do you see that tension in Europe right now? Of course, because Europe doesn't move in the same direction all the time. Like uh, when we talk about Europe, we, don't have, we are talking about a lot of different countries with different political ideas, with different interests, also different institutions. There's... In one hand, you have the European Parliament. On the other, you have the European Commission. You have different political parties. So, of course, European Union doesn't move on the same direction. But I would see that there is some trend of, let's say, some more regionalist, savvy 
feeling in contrast with the radical nationalism that we see in Madrid or in London to, to, to trying to repress all these regionalist movements. And I think it makes a lot of sense for, for a European perspective. At the end of the day, a, a radical Europe, a, a Europeanist, or how do you say it? EU supporter, a radical EU supporter and a radical region supporter, they are made to, to be friends. They are made for loving each other because for a Basque nationalist, for instance, Spain is the problem. And he says, I don't want to be part of Spain. I want to be part of Europe because that's cool. That's a cool project. I want to go there. And for a EU supporter... He says, yeah, 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 forget about the Spain. Come to me. Let's be friends. So I don't know if I made my point clear. Yeah, it sounds to me what you're saying is that there's there's a marriage of sorts between regionalists and Europeans because there's always, you know, sort of that because they're they're both not necessarily anti-nationalistic, but they can be, but they want to de-emphasize the importance of the nation state and the sovereignty of this nation state in favor of a union of regions where the nationalists are anti-regionalist because they don't want their country breaking apart and anti-European because they believe in the ultimate sovereignty and power resting in the capital of the country. Is that right? Yep. And, you know, and so maybe some of the different things we're seeing are that, you know, you have in every country, you've, you've got some of this divide, right? And, you know, because even in Britain, you know, the Brexit vote didn't win by much. So you had a lot of people that were pro staying in Europe. Um, and even before Brexit, you know, you still had a Scottish Nationalist Party that had its referendum to split apart. It lost with only 45 it lost with 45% of the vote. So these are like, you know, these these indicate some strong divisions here within a given country about how it, you know, within a given country about whether it should get closer to the European Union or further. You know, and in France, it was more of a division. It wasn't as close as Brexit, but you still have Front National saying, hey, we should be more nationalist, less European. Alternative for Deutschland saying we should be more nationalist, yes, less European. Um, and then you have either, like this combination of regional and European parties that are saying we should be more regional, more European. And that fight is going on in European democracies right now. Yep. So in a way, we, we could say that the advent of regionalism is not something similar connected with the advent of Euroscepticism, but actually the opposite. Can you expand on that? I'm kind of curious. We should connect. Like, regionalism has nothing to do with Euroscepticism. It's actually the opposite. Regionalism has more to do with EU support. And Euroscepticism has more to do with the nationalism, and therefore anti-regionalism i think that makes sense i think a lot of the pro-autonomous pro-independence movements we're seeing in europe right now those that would favor greater autonomy also favor involvement in the eu 
I, I don't know if that's the primary driver of why they want to be independent, but it certainly seems like an important one. It was the case in Scotland. I know with Catalonia, um, I, I actually, I'm not trying to say his name, Puigdemont. Puigdemont. How do you say Puigdemont. 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 He, um, I think he reached out to the EU at one point and said, hey, you know, guys, if we become independent, we can be part of the EU, right? And they just didn't respond, right? Because they want to protect the state of Spanish sovereignty as it has existed since World War II. So I'm curious, Fonseca, now, as we kind of get towards the end of the show here, with your insight into Spanish politics, your, I mean, the political philosophy, I think that you outlined in your book that we discussed last time is something that I actually still use on like a semi-regular basis, like a daily basis sometimes, how coalitions are formed. Wow. It's, Thank you. I think, I think the idea of creating, uh, if not entirely new identities, then, then pulling from different coalitions to form a new coalition and the way you describe that in the book is, is very compelling. So with that political philosophy in mind, with your insight into European politics in mind, how do you see the development of Catalonian independence movement continuing as well as uh, other independence movements throughout Europe? What's going to happen? It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for the award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. I have no idea. On this, I, I cannot make any prediction. Because in... It's not only about political ideas, it's also about political strategy. And the way Puigdemont is working is pretty, pretty, pretty sloppy. So I don't think he's going to succeed, but I don't want to make any prediction. I mean, perhaps I'm wrong. So when it comes to Catalonian nationalism, I, I don't know what's going to happen. And when it comes to the rest of the regionalism, movements well i think uh, i'm pretty hopeful or i think the, the the this project of the european regions is gonna work and it's gonna be more and more important in the in the short-term future future so we will see that uh, northern italy and southern austria they might start cooperating together with this uh, southern Tyrol region and probably more projects, more companies, and more trade between southern France and northern Spain. So I think that might be a, a thing in, in the future. But other than that, I, I don't dare to make any prediction. 
Before we close out, I'm, I'm going to follow up with one more question because you said something at the beginning there that I think kind of caught my attention, which is Puigdemont is acting sloppily from like a tactical or a strategic level. Could you describe what you mean by that real quick? Yes. First of all, from the legal point of view, he made all the mistakes he could. When the Basque nationalists, they tried to, 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 to run as an independent country, they failed. But from a legal point of view, it made sense. Their strategy made some kind of sense. When it comes to the Catalonians, they broke all the laws. They didn't try to, to make any commitment, any compromise with the, with the government. So, of course, they are gonna fa- they, that project was prone to fail. Second, all this political play that he's doing now, going to the exile on Brussels and trying to run away from justice and saying that he's going to declare independency and five seconds before he says that he doesn't declare the independency. I think now he's just, he, he created such a big problem that he cannot run away from it and he, 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 he caught himself forced in a situation where he can only move forward with the independentist thing, even though he knows that it's not gonna not gonna work out, so I think it's he might even lose the elections. They are gonna have elections, you know, now in in December, so he might lose them. He and his party and his coalition, because he's losing all the credibility. Right, and Catalonia actually lost its autonomy. Is that right? Like Spain sort of punished it yeah, or, or cracked the, down the, and temporarily. Took away what they yeah had. temporarily they lost the autonomy because according to the constitution, if if the local uh, regional government fails to the constitution, the central government has the right to intervene there and say, okay, you are committing a crime, you are not following the the general law, the national law, so I I take you out of the government and I'm gonna put myself in your place until we call for next elections. So this is why in Catalonia now, in in December, they are going to have new elections to find a new legitimate government. What's going to happen in those elections? I don't know, but I think that it's not going to be as good for the nationalists as they they might expect. But again, I don't want to make any prediction because I... You'll never know. I think it's such an unstable situation that it can change dramatically from one day to the other. So, It seems that 10 or 15 years ago, there was general consensus that the nation states of Europe should be stable, that there wasn't a lot of regionalism, so people were fine with staying in their nation as the nation, and that there seemed to be consensus that the European Union should be strong. Now it seems that a lot of Europeans want the European Union to be weaker, um, you know, almost ha- or more than half of Britons, um, a substantial number of Germans and French wanted or were highly Eurosceptical, which wasn't true 10 or 15 years ago, I think. And also, there seemed to be a lot of people in, you know, in Italy, in Scotland, in Spain, in Belgium that want to weaken the nation state. Um, and those are different groups of people. So it seems like now there's a group of people that wants to weaken the nation state and go towards regionalism and a group of people that wants to weaken the EU. And these two groups are against each other, but these groups seem to exist now with force in a way, it seems to me they didn't exist or they weren't strong in 2004. Do you think that's true? Yes and no. I would say that there has been always in Europe states and nations that 
have a more appealing project like UK, I can understand someone from UK feeling proud of being a British and feeling like his country is, is doing good. He's a wealthy country where institutions work, where people are getting more and wealthier and wealthier. And then you have the southern countries like Italy, Greece, Spain, that they feel like their country is not doing the best and, and therefore they want to uh, find other more appealing projects. So, but it, that 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 was happening also ten years ago. So, I think what you say it's been going on for since the beginning of of the of the European Union. What is happening now is that over time EU has failed to to pass a constitution. I mean, it's true. In two thousand and five, they tried to pass a constitution and it didn't work. And since they, they haven't found a, a, a real political project to integrate all these countries and regions and uh, ethnic sensibilities, different languages, different legislations, different ideologies, and, and create some solid uh, project. If you read now the this year, the European Commission released the, the White Book for European Union, where they, in principle, they were... To, to suggest a, a, an integration project for, for, for Europe. But at the end of the day, you read that document and it's absolutely blurry. Like there is no solid thing. It's not like in US, you know that there is a union of states. The state has this power. The, the states have these powers. And then the, the federal government in Washington, D.C. has these other powers. There is nothing like this in European Union. It's full of exceptions, then you have the European regions, then you have the different bodies, uh, and it's a mess. So I think over time people say, holy cow, dude, make up your mind and tell me what you want me to do. And this is what makes some some regions and some countries feel more disappointed. And given that things are kind of a mess like that, it's not entirely clear what the EU wants to be. Um, you have some nations that are pushing back for greater sovereignty. You have some regions that are pushing for autonomy from those nations, wanting to be more part of the EU. Um, you know, and you have that that sort of tension between them. What do you think this means for Europe and the European Union going forward? Because it it feels like it feels like there is a tension to pull in these two different directions that it can't stay where it is right now. Um, maybe that's not true. Maybe this is. Maybe I'm over just kind of over I'm making a mountain out of a molehill here or something, but it does seem like there's this push to say, okay, the nation state has less power and the European union and regions are going to have more power. And there's this pull on the other side to say, no, the nation state should have more power. Europe has too much. The regions have too much. Um, do you think that this tension can remain and just kind of sort itself out? Or do you think that Europe is going to go in one direction or another? I think Europe is going to move towards a more confederate model, but a totally anarchic confederate model, honestly. I think this is not going to be a federation because there are too many countries that don't want to be part of a federation. So it's going to be more of a confederation, but totally asymmetric with different speeds and where you're going to have 
a total mess. And somehow it's been working and it will keep working more or less. What a European answer. What? I said, what a European answer. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be a mess. It's going to be a lot of exceptions, you know, but it's yeah, going to keep working. I, I, I think that's, that's a way we're, we're going to roll. I mean, as long as the trade agreements and the economy kind of works, the rest, well, okay, European unions say that you can't smoke in bars. And then Czech Republic and Austria, they say, you know what, European Union... F word you, and and I can, can, can I say swearing words or or this is you already did. Okay. <laughs> you dropped the f bomb multiple times already. <laughs> uh, okay, okay, okay. So Austria and Czech Republic they go to European Union and they say, you know what, F*** you. We're gonna smoke in bars as as much as we want, and people smoke in bars, and one day. For whatever reason, European Union and Austria, eh, Czech Republic and Austria, they decide to put the ban for smoking in bars, but they do it because they want. Now we have the tension here in Czech Republic where we can have weapons and, and guns, just like in Texas. And Brussels is coming to us and saying, "Hey, you couldn't, ha you cannot have your guns. What do you think is this? This is not America. This is Europe. You cannot have guns." And we say, "You know what, Brussels? Fuck you. We want to have your. We want to have our guns." Well, look. As long as we have the trade agreements, we can trade freely and travel freely in inside of the, all the European countries. It kind of more or less works. This is like, you know what? This is like an orgy. This is a political orgy. An orgy is work. Like people have a lot of fun and they know more or less what they can do and what they cannot do. People have fun and no one complains. <laughs> have you ever, have, Eric? Sander, have you ever heard anyone complaining about an orgy saying, I'm, dude, I'm really glad that was your question. I thought you were going to yeah. ask a different question. <laughs> I, was like, I don't think I can answer that on this show. <laughs> yeah, but have you ever anyone uh, saying, dude, last weekend I, I went to an orgy. It was so much boring. I had a really <laughs> bad time. No, people have fun in orgies. Why? Because there are some non-written rules, you know, that you have to be respectful. You know that you, you, you cannot touch anyone if you don't have their permission first. As long as you respect that, people have a lot of fun. So in a way, European Union is the equivalent of a political orgy. <laughs> did, it sound, oh, what a... did, it, did it sound European or not? <laughs> that no that was a... <laughs> that was about as European an answer as I could expect. Yes. <laughs> what a perfect way. What a perfect way to close out the conversation. Yeah. With that, I think um, Fonseca, we would like to say thank you so much for joining us for, for enlightening us on everything <laughs> ranging, uh, ranging from European independence, nationalist movements towards the unwritten rules of orgies. It's been a truly enlightening conversation. Truly enlightening. <laughs> Come to reconsider. Come for the politics. Stay for the Fonseca. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's our new uh, unofficial motto. You'll uh, never know what you get. <laughs> thanks so much, Fonseca. Everyone, be sure to check out Visual Politique on YouTube. It's in English and Spanish. So if you're bilingual, you have double the content to select from. It's a great show. Fonseca, thank you very much. 
Thank you, Sander. Thank you, Eric. As always, it's a great pleasure to, to be here with you. Yeah. And with that, dear listeners, remember, don't let the pundits do the thinking for you. Pause and reconsider. This is Eric signing off. Xander, we'll see you next time. This is Monseca signing off. See you next time. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.